Law, liberty, and life in Jesus. Knowing how it all works. The title, I've modified it a bit, but the one that probably will come up, the, the title for this teaching is The Pursuit of Righteousness That Can Lead to Perdition. The Pursuit of Righteousness That Can Lead to Perdition. This past week, uh, the news was all a buzz. Um, Betty White died. I guess that's a little, a week and a bit, maybe. And the Harabelli Fonte died. No, Sidney Portier. Yeah, that's it. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> and as you watched the uh, news. The tributes come in, and it's nice to see. And for both of those two people anyway, the idea being that they were such good people, caring people, giving people, who did so much good. And you hear things like a number of people said, so heaven is that much richer having these, these people. Is that how it works? I mean, we get it. So, you know, Stalin and Mussolini and Pol Pot and Adolf Hitler and nobody talks about those people kind of up in heaven, smiling, looking down on us now. Nobody does that. But they did say that about Betty White and... Sidney Poitier, they did say they're in heaven looking down on us now. And so, that kind of stuff has a certain logic to it. I mean, it makes sense in a way. And what we're studying this morning really has to do with this question. Here's the question. And I'd like you to think about an answer. You don't have to answer out loud, but I'd like you to answer it in your head. Can eternal safety be achieved by moral uprightness? That's the question. Can eternal safety be achieved by moral uprightness? And I think because the answer that the Bible gives is so counterintuitive that we, we, need, we need God to speak. God has to speak. The one who said, look, I created this whole thing. Every human being that draws breath, I made them. I made this world. I created eternity. And I set all the terms, all the rules, all the limits. It is all up to me. So we need to hear God talk about this subject. And that's what we're doing in this very convoluted, difficult, challenging text. Are you up for that? Are you up for that? Yeah. Okay, good. 
the pursuit of righteousness that can lead to perdition. Galatians chapter 3, 19 to 25. Galatians 3, 19 to 25. Get a Bible out. Here and at home, wherever you are. Galatians 3.19, Paul speaks, you kind of pick him up in the middle of an argument. I'll try and set the context for this after I'm done reading it. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed, capital S, to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels, by means of a mediator. That was Moses, by the way. 20. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. That's a hard sentence right there. 21. Is the law, therefore, contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness certainly would be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. 23. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. In, in many ways, that paragraph, this week's teaching, it's kind of a summary of everything we've been studying in Galatians thus far, especially regarding the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law, and the Christian's relationship to it. Paul has said some very strong words to these Jewish false teachers who came from Jerusalem to Galatia, trying to tell these Gentile believers that they need, in addition to their faith in Christ, there's rules. And you have to keep those rules. Paul's been very blunt that to return to the keeping of the law as a means of earning righteousness before God, that it will nullify salvation, eternal life, the blessings through Christ. He says that in 2.21, where Paul says, I do not, look at these words, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Nothing. So, so we know, okay, that's all a bit of a review. We know that Paul just does not endorse the use of legal righteousness as the road to salvation. But the question still remains, well then, if, if the law can't produce righteousness and doesn't lead us to God, what's it for? It's fine, Paul, to tell me what it isn't for, 
What good is it? What is the purpose of the law? Those questions are important because if you're going to receive benefit from anything in this world, you have to know why it's there. Traffic light, red light at an intersection. I mean, that's a great invention. It saves countless lives every day, I'm sure. But it only works if people understand what it's there for. If I drive in my car and I've landed from some other planet and I see at night this red light glowing in the dark and I think, my, that's, look at that. Is that ever a pretty light? But I don't know what the light means. Well, the light's working fine. There's nothing wrong with the light. It's doing what it's supposed to do. But if I don't understand what it's for, I'm going to kill somebody in that intersection. You might think that's a silly kind of illustration, but the Bible actually teaches, the Bible actually says that the law didn't do what it was supposed to do because people didn't understand what it was for. That's not a guess. The Bible actually says that. Look at Romans chapter 9. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. That's Jesus. Paul says the reason Israel stumbled at the law wasn't because they didn't have the law. It wasn't even because they didn't pursue the law, but because they pursued it the wrong way. They didn't use the law properly. They didn't know the purpose of the law. They didn't know what it was for. And then in Romans 10, 3, Paul goes even further on the very same subject and says, here's why it's so important to understand what the law is for. That's right in Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Since they were, there's the word, ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness their own righteousness, and God's righteousness. So, so if we miss, here's what Paul's saying. If we miss the purpose of the law, if we try to use it as a tool for earning our way to heaven, we will actually miss out on the righteousness that God requires, God's righteousness. So, so in other words, if the law is used incorrectly, it can actually, here's the title, pave the road to perdition rather than the way to salvation. It will miss God's righteousness. And that's what I have to have. That's how important this issue is. All of that is kind of a long way of saying that Paul's question at the beginning of verse 19 it's really a question of importance. The first words of verse 19. Why the law then? 
That's a question that every Christian needs to be able to answer. Now, these are very densely packed verses, and they don't just yield easy fruit. Let me try and bring out some of the basic ideas, okay? Point number one. The fundamental truth of this passage is that the law was added to the promise 430 years after the promise was made to Abraham. That's when the law was delivered through Moses, 430 years later, to accomplish a different yet complementary purpose to God's promise of blessing to Abraham. Paul hits this truth over and over again for emphasis. You, you notice you notice all the time references in this passage. Yeah, just real fast. It was added, verse 19, until the seed, 19. We were confined under the law, imprisoned until, verse 23, the coming of faith. So those until words. Nothing else that Paul says about the law will make sense until this central key concept is nailed down. The law was something added. It was something brought alongside to, added, after the promise of blessing through Abraham was already given. So the law, equally important, the law came with an expiry date. It had a specific function only until Christ came. That's, what it, that's that reference to the seed, until the seed. So, in reference to its role in salvation, the law has two things. An originating point, Sinai, Moses, and a terminating point, Jesus Christ. It was always designed to point to something, someone else, the law. That's why it was added later, after God already gave the promise of blessing to Abraham. Okay, point number two. The central purpose of the law, as far as salvation is concerned, was to make human sin definable and accountable. Paul says that several times in our text. It was added for the sake of transgressions, 19. And then 22, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power. So the whole, the law, the whole old covenant, it turns our wrong deeds and our failures, it turns them into, verse 19, transgressions. That's the most legal, official term used to describe sin in the Bible. There was once a time when it wasn't a transgression to smoke a cigarette in Toronto's restaurants. Might have been frowned upon, you might have irritated people. It was always unhealthy. It was always unwise. That was always the case. But then, but then there was a law brought into effect, and the law made it a transgression to smoke. It made it illegal. Once there was a law, smoking in a Toronto restaurant became not just a faux pas, it suddenly became a transgression. 
Paul makes that point about the law and our sin. He makes it even more striking a couple of times in Romans. Romans 4.15, he says, the law, look at what he says, the law produces that, wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. You have to have a law if it's going to be a transgression. 520 of Romans. The law came along to, look at, multiply the trespass. Romans 7, 12 and 13. So then the law is holy. The commandment is holy, just, good. Nothing wrong with the law. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. But there it is, sin. In order to be, here, this is important, recognized as sin. Now it's a transgression because there's a law. Sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. Now I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But the phrase to notice in that 415, where there is no law, there is no transgression. That needs to be examined closely. Without the divine revelation of the law, there will always be another explanation for all forms of wickedness. I will look to my own upbringing. You hear about these all the time. Whatever failures, transgressions, they can be the result of temperament. They can be the result of poverty. They can be the result of the environment. There will always be a host of other explanations, all of which are valid as far as they go, but none of them are the root of wickedness. All of those Romans texts are really important, and we need to put all of them in their proper place when we're thinking about the law. What comes to light is that the law of God in the Old Covenant, it wasn't contrary to God's promised righteousness that he would provide through the coming seed, Jesus Christ. The law was an addition. And it was added to make transgressions stand out. It was, the law was added to prepare a person like me not to justify my sin. The law was added to help me embrace Christ. It was added to help me see that I can't fix this. The law was given to drive people to a redeemer. So in other words, the law must never be seen, and this relates to my opening illustration. Look at these good, wonderful people and the good things they did. They were moral. They were upright. They're smiling down from heaven on us. Are you sure? Or do we let God speak? Do we let God speak? The law must never be seen as the road going in the opposite way of salvation through Christ. No, it was added to aid and drive us to Christ. It's, it's like those small service roads that run along the 401 or the QEW, and it looks like it's a totally different road, but eventually it's going to steer you onto the same thing. It's designed to help with this. 
It's designed to point to this. We were never, ever intended to qualify for eternal life through our moral goodness. Never. That is so counterintuitive that we, unless God speaks, unless God speaks, we're never going to get this right. Point number three. The law was never designed to create spiritual life. Only the Holy Spirit can bring the renewing presence of God in a direct sense into the human soul. It's a beautiful truth. It's expressed in, well, some of the most difficult verses in the New Testament, our text. Galatians 3, look at 20 and 21. Galatians 3 20 and 21. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone. Moses didn't go up on the mountain and get the law just so Moses would know what the law was. Then he says, but God is one. That's the confusing part of that sentence. Is the law, therefore, contrary to God's promise? Remember the illustration, the service road along the highway? No, absolutely not. Now, here's the part I want to look at. For if the law had been granted with the ability to... See that? If the law could give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. Paul strikes a a contrast in these verses. And and it's hard to get, but it's worth the work. There's a precious truth here. The tricky part is that 20th verse where it says the law was this mediated deal between God and man. And then it says, but God is one. What is that all about? Well, it was mediated first by Moses. God, Moses, the people. In order for that deal to work, the law, through Moses to the people. If that deal is going to work, then both sides have to do their part. God reveals through Moses, and then the people have to obey the law. That system works, and it depends on more than just God revealing the law. It depends on the people keeping the law. It depends on those religious people always behaving, always behaving, in a way that qualifies for God's blessing. And the problem with that is even devoutly religious people mess up their end of the deal. You know it. I know it. That's what he means when he says God is one. The promise that God gave to Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, it was an unmediated deal. It only hinged on the faithfulness of God, nothing else. Even devoutly religious people always fail in keeping their end of the deal, but this one only hinged on the faithfulness of God. In fact, the promise God gives, the coming seed, Jesus Christ, this covenant is precisely designed for people who don't keep the law of God. Look at this. 
If only we hadn't seen these words a thousand times. If it was the first time you ever saw these, you wouldn't wait till I was finished the message. You would drop on your face thanking God. But we know the words. While we were still, look, this is us. Helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the what? God proves his own love for us in that while we were... Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Verse 21 of our Galatians text points out a truth. Paul was slow in learning himself, and that's why it's so precious to him. Galatians 3.21, Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, righteousness would certainly be based on the law. So the law can't impart life. That's the problem. That's the problem. Now, there was a time we get to peek in on this. We get to eavesdrop. Because there was a time when Paul thought the law could produce righteousness. He worked very hard at keeping the law. And he talks about this. We get to see behind the scenes. Look what Paul said. He said, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness, look at, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, wow. That's Paul talking about himself. I was blameless. Blameless. Paul said, when it came to keeping the Jewish law, he was blameless. Now just remember that phrase for a minute. Just remember that phrase. Paul said, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, I was perfect. That's what Paul says. Now, is that true? Is it possible to do that? Before we answer that, I want you to look at something else Paul said. And it's in this text, Romans 7, 7 to 9. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. Remember the service road along the 401. But I would not have known sin. I wouldn't have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity, wouldn't have been there without the law. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin was dead. But once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again. Now, if you're thinking with me, you want to say to Paul, okay, Paul, which is it? Which is it? Did you keep the law or didn't you? Were you blameless, Philippians 4, 6, blameless before the law? Or 
Romans 7, 9, was sin springing to life in you? Which is it, Paul? And Paul would say, well, yes and no. He found that outwardly, here's the problem. Outwardly, Paul could keep the religious regulations. He could do it. He could keep the outward forms. He could go to the temple. He could keep the fasts. He could perform all the washings. He could manage the dietary regulations. Outwardly, outwardly, he could, by sheer effort and great discipline, he could keep the outward religion of the law. But, but, Paul said, I, I, found, I found something else. There was another dimension of the law that Paul discovered and he found he had no control over. He couldn't keep the law inwardly. Covetousness. That's his greed. Pride. Envy. Ill will. Vengeance. That's why Romans 7, he zeroes in on this covetousness. He found that for, for all of his ability to keep the outward regulations, Paul said, I, I couldn't fix my heart. I couldn't fix my heart. There was no life in the law. That's what Paul means when he says that Galatians 3.21. If the law had been granted with the ability to give life, oh, if only, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. You, you could get to heaven and look down smiling just by being morally good and upright. It, it would work that way. But Paul says it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. God says, God says, that's not the system. It never has been the system. If everybody on planet Earth thinks it's the system, it still won't be the system because we have a creator. Even when outwardly kept, the way Paul said he kept it, the law can't produce life. Here's the thing. The law can only restrain. It can never transform. It can only restrain. It can never transform. The law can keep you from adultery. The law might keep you from theft, but it can never cause you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The law can't help you a bit. And that's what we have to do. Maybe consider an illustration from marriage. I can fulfill all the legal requirements of marriage in every way. I'm faithful to my wife. Always have been faithful to my wife. I have a marriage license. I'm not a polygamist. But none of those things is the same as loving my wife. Keeping those laws can't produce love. It can safeguard a genuine love, but it can never create love. Laws may help regulate bad behavior, but they can never impart spiritual life. They can never impart faith in Christ as the seed, God's promised redeemer. 
Paul actually, we looked at these verses. Paul asked this question right at the beginning of this letter. He said, I only want to learn this from you. Did you, this is what matters, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing in the flesh? Okay, I got to hurry. Four. Point number four, last point. We're almost done. The road of promise from Abraham to Christ runs not around the law, but through the pathway of the law toward promise of God promise and grace in Christ Jesus. Here's the last reference. Galatians 3, 22 to 25. But the scripture, this is, this is another way of Paul saying the whole law, not just the Ten Commandments, the whole old covenant, the scripture. Imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Christ Jesus to those who believe. How, the opening question, how do people find eternal safety? Can you do it through moral goodness? No. How can anyone find eternal safety? It's by believing faith in the promise of Jesus Christ. Faith in the promise of Jesus Christ. No one no one will secure eternal safety through moral uprightness. No one. There it is. Faith in Jesus Christ for those who believe. 23. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law. All of us. Until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian. Until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Rejoice, I'm on the last page of my notes. Very briefly, Paul says, the law has this function of keeping us all imprisoned. That's in 23, right there. Keeping us all imprisoned until Christ came. And it does this. How does the law keep us in prison? How is it our tutor? Two ways, okay? Two ways. The law reveals two different kinds of sins. And if you miss this, you won't get the point of what Paul is saying. So, so get this. The two kinds of sins that the law reveals. First, as we said, it puts our failures into legal, accountable terms. Sin becomes transgression, okay? Sin matters. But there's something else the law reveals. Second, the law, even when outwardly kept, like what Paul did, even when the law is outwardly kept, it brings to light the proud tendency fallen people have to earn their own standing before God apart from Christ. That's what the law says. You, you can't get to God except through Christ. You can't get to God except through Christ. That's what Paul was talking about in Philippians 3. 
we have this desire, Philippians 3, to have a righteousness of our own. That's what Paul said. That's what I had, a righteousness of my own. That's what we want. I want to be good enough. And the law reveals that pride because the law says you, you can't get there that way, Don. Don't even try. So the law keeps us fenced in with these sins in order that all of us might be ready for Christ. Both, both the morally corrupt people and the decent, benevolent, kind, loving, self-righteous people. Both of them are exposed by the law. The really, really bad people, the Adolf Hitlers and the Betty Whites, nobody, nobody comes except through Jesus Christ. Paul said that's what it was all about. Years ago, I have some old books in my library. G.G. Finley wrote these masterful words talking about this text. The role of the law in bringing us to Christ. And I want to just close with this quote. The law was, all the while, standing guard over its subjects, watching, checking every attempt to escape, but intending to hand them over in due time to the life of faith. The law posts its ordinances like so many sentinels around the prisoner's cell. The blockade is complete. He tries again and again to break out, but the iron circle will not yield. The deliverance will yet be his. The day of faith approaches. It dawned long ago in Abraham's promise. Now its light shines into his dungeon and he hears the words of Jesus. Thy sins are forgiven thee. Go in peace. Law, the stern jailer, has, after all, been a good friend if it has preserved him for this. It prevents the sinner escaping into a futile and elusive freedom. May the Holy Spirit help us to understand that text because it actually has to do with every human being on the planet who's ever thought about, how can I be right with God? And for really, really wonderfully decent people and for absolutely moral corrupt people, there is only one way. You have to put your trust in Jesus Christ.